0: Good evening. It is Wednesday, March 31st, and it's a, a cold, rainy evening here in the Northeast. I just wanted to record this pre-segment uh, basically to thank everybody, uh, for my listeners, for my followers, everybody who supports me. It's, it's greatly appreciated. Uh, so I just wanted to give a shout out to you guys and uh, also give fair warning that this episode in particular is going to be probably offensive to a lot of people um sorry that's i'm just doing the trigger warning right now you know i'm trying to do the, the fair courtesy uh for anybody who's easily offended and uh, gets their panties in a bunch uh, about the weight issue uh my advice is to hit the back button um for everybody else uh again uh hopefully everybody's doing well uh you know it, it, we got shit going on all over the place i appreciate you sticking with me and uh tolerating my uh how would you say lax editing for now i'm I'm trying to still i'm trying to upgrade it once i get some stuff done within the next few weeks i think the episodes will be much better audio quality wise and all that good shit Uh, but until then i greatly appreciate my listeners if you like follow uh you can find me on twitter blah 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 i'm here for the same reason as you and that's to uh, speak and know the truth have a great evening cream and COVID-19. Studies show obese people act as virus super spreaders. High BMI means two-way risk. Uh, this was just published a short time ago by uh, Jordan Chatel. I don't. I think I tried to read his stuff before, but um, I don't know. Lately, I hit record and then I just scrap it because uh, that's the kind of mood I've been in lately. It is Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. And uh, it's a cool, breezy day here in the Northeast, and um, yeah, that's basically it. I hope everybody's doing okay, doing well, considering the circumstances. Every other day, the media has uh, a different agenda. Uh, I might have to uh, make an Excel spreadsheet or calendar of all the different uh, messages uh, each day of the week will bring. I just want to see if there's any patterns. Seems the first two days of the week, Monday and Tuesday, we had a lot of the vax pass. A lot of that chatter, a lot of that news. And now, uh, I don't know, now they're more focused on race. As of this morning, uh, we had the guy arrested here in New York City for attacking the 65-year-old Asian, I think she was a Vietnamese woman, uh, in New York City. And uh, then you have the Derek Chauvin, so, I mean, I can't believe Chauvin, Chauvin, whatever the fuck trial it is. Uh, People actually sitting here watching, sitting there watching this uh, trial go on. And uh, this is eerily reminiscent of the Rodney King and uh, O.J. Simpson era. People are very fixated on a uh, trial that has the potential to cause, uh, how would you say, uh, you know, just just adding Tinder to the fire. I mean, look, the media knows what they're doing. I lived through the Rodney King riots i was i was around i i you know i was old enough to know what was going on but not fully be cognizant um and then you had like i said uh, i was i was in college when the oj simpson trial uh when he was acquitted i i remember being in my dorm uh, actually no i was on college campus on my way back to the dorms and i just heard this complete uproar and <laughs> and coming from the dorms, and it turns out that that's when uh, O.J. Simpson was acquitted. But either way, there's so much energy and emotion behind these court cases and these dramas that the media feeds people that it it doesn't matter. Whichever way the courts decide, it's just again, it's just Tinder. It's just complete Tinder. So we're going back to the I think it was the early '90s, Rodney King, or late '80s. I don't even fucking remember exactly what year it was but uh you know he he got beaten by cops Rodney King out in California and uh, the cops were acquitted and then all hell broke loose uh, Los Angeles California it was Orange County uh California I mean they just went nuts over there and the people the people who were able to keep their businesses from being burned and looted were uh the people who were armed uh that was the uh the era of the rooftop Koreans they held their own and uh, I've discussed this in, in previous podcasts. So uh, here we got another, it's just, you know, again, it's all cyclical. These little operations, there are plenty of people who were not born or who are not really cognizant or aware of this, uh, uh, this, this has happened before, and uh, it's only March now. So it was a year ago last June where the shit hit the fan all across the country. So corona is going to take a back seat for a little while. Maybe the vaccination campaign is going to take a back seat and uh, for the next couple of months spring into summer we'll, we'll we'll you know the media will shift its focus onto the riots because uh that's what they're known to do. It's 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 pretty it's it's pretty you know self-explanatory here. We we know uh, that that it's all uh well played out. So I'll go back to this article here. Written by Jordan Châtel, Chat- And I don't know. I went pretty far from uh, what I was discussing here. But uh, yeah, going back. <sighs> Krispy Kreme and COVID-19. Studies show obese people act as virus super spreaders. And uh, I mentioned this in uh, my Krispy Vax podcast a couple of days ago. That, uh, you know, yeah, America does have one of the world's obesity problems. That's what he starts off as saying and that uh yeah we're we're a very unhealthy country and maybe that's the reason why our mortality rates were so much higher than other countries with with higher population densities and uh poorer sanitation and i'm pretty sure they didn't have the whole social distancing thing down uh like we did here in the states but we still had poorer outcomes and and why is that and uh well one of the reasons, uh, theorized, is that you know, we got a lot of fatties here in this country. And uh, not only do we have a lot of fatties, we have a lot of people with not just fat, but comor- comorbidities due to fat. And and the word comorbidity is, is like, you know, it's, this is going to be a disease that eventually is going to kill you, morbidity, you know. So you got long-term shit like heart disease and diabetes, and if unmanaged, this these diseases will kill you so that's well i guess that's the, the reason for the whole morbidity aspect of uh, when you call it a comorbidity so now you got two things well three things going against you you got obesity diabetes those are two things going against you then you could have develop heart failure kidney failure all sorts of wonderful things um and you can have multiple comorbidities up to five so yes and then you got age uh you know a poor immunity so Americans in general, they're just basically a kaleidoscope and crapshoot of comorbidities. That's basically what we got walking around. Uh, In a majority of the population, we have a very unhealthy population, a very obese population. And yes, by default, giving credence to terrain theory, as a lot of terrain theorists out there uh, say, claim that there is no virus. And uh, fine, you can claim whatever you want. Uh, But at the end of the day, the people who had the quote-unquote worse off terrain... Fared worse. This is nothing new, people. Even before terrain theory came about, these are things that are established. You know, comorbidities was a thing before terrain theory became a thing. Um, so, that being said, let me continue on to read this article. America has one of the worst, the, one of the world's worst obesity problems, and our public health experts, quote unquote, decided that the solution to the problem was to shut down the gyms and lock people in their homes. This not only made an already unhealthy population more unhealthy, but new information about COVID-19 spread shows that it ultimately increased their risk for both infection and for spreading the virus to others. I hesitated to write about this topic, given that it has somehow become a cultural faux pas to hold people accountable for their own health. I've been talking about this continually, like, again... Me and you, my listeners, everybody who agrees with me, we all fucking know we're on the same page. there's no reason why we should be forced to wear a mask because other people can't you know contain themselves or uh um you know you could take precautions, but these quote unquote precautions have absolutely and I've said this before since the beginning, no basis in infection control, actual infection control when you talk about three feet uh four feet, six feet, social distancing and the masking up and all this bullshit enough. Enough already, just, just enough. Unless you want to be honest with the public and tell people why. Why are we taking all these unprecedented steps to stop this coronavirus? Now, going back to my coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 and the risk of prion disease podcast, and I've been posting on my Twitter account today, um, there are previous threads on further down on my Twitter account that you'll see that there are some that are speculating that wild type SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it, virus SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it all right, is inducing prion-like changes, or prion, at least as one case of a person who died of CJD, a prion disease, and he was COVID positive. So again, like, there's so many variables here. We have false positives. What are they really testing for? Fragments of this and fragments of that. But what if this really just comes down to just a massive, and some people are claiming that the prions are being vectored in. Vector is a carrier. This is what uh, most people aren't aware of unless you uh, uh, have studied microbiology or, or are aware of infection control cycles. A vector is a carrier. So they're saying that these quote-unquote viruses are being used as vectors for the prion disease. There's so many possibilities right now. There really, There really are. But can we honestly say that the government is doing what it's doing locking people down and mandating all of this insanity here just even the masks in itself is complete bullshit you know are they doing can you really say they're doing it for the sake of public health when they turn around again and prevent people from going to the gym and they turn around and give people free fucking donuts and free popcorn like i don't know if fat people and i mentioned this before in my previous podcasts if if fat people or obese people are more prone to the worst outcomes of this infection disease, whatever you want to call it, COVID-19. Why are you facilitating their downfall? None of that makes any kind of sense. So again, I really feel strongly, and I've always had, have felt strongly that our health is our responsibility. We way we, we before this corona shit started, I've worked on cancer wards, I've worked with many different types of people. And it was important for me when I looked at end-stage diseases and certain things playing out. I thought to myself, how, how am I going to deal with whatever, you know, what is going to be thrown at me in the future? Now, there are lots of people who come down with cancer and they choose the chemotherapy route. They choose the radiation route. They choose, you know, the latest and greatest, uh, whatever, uh, gene therapy route. There's there's something out there. There's always something out there. And I worked very closely with cancer patients. And I did see that there were certain cancer patients that did have worse outcomes. And these pa- cancer patients with or- worse outcomes were often the ones who were damaged by the treatment regimen itself. Let's just put it this way. I've also worked in a pharmacy that dispensed prescription drugs to end-stage cancer patients and charged 100% markup, a 100% markup, okay? And we're talking in the thousands, okay? And sold these drugs, these investigational drugs, to these end-stage cancer patients, and none of these, none of the research that I came across and I saw, and it's it's all, you know... People could, they could have read it for themselves. The patients could have read that easily for themselves. Um, There's really just a very negligible improvement in their condition. I mean, negligible in terms of their outcomes, the survival outcomes or any extended. Because, you know, it was, it was really like an investigational drug. But, you know, these pharmaceutical companies have no problem selling people things that won't even work because... When it comes to the end of life, people are desperate. You know, end of life is a very difficult thing for a lot of people to cope with. And when you're dealing with an end-stage cancer patient, they're willing to try anything. And these pharmaceutical companies and these businesses, they capitalized on that. They capitalized on it. So here again, and this is all regulated. This is all legal. This is all legal and this goes on. All throughout the healthcare industry, and I was thinking earlier, and I'm I'm not trying to go too far on a tangent, but I had a lot of, a lot of things that I had to say, and there were a lot of things that I I you know I've been trying to record and I've been erasing, and um, you know I, I bought a new microphone, the fucking thing doesn't even work. That's <laughs> so what's it's just discouraging, uh. But you think about all these authorities that we have, this these systems that we have in in, in you know our culture, right? We have the Education, the authority, the education authorities, the government authorities, uh, the police, uh, you know, all of these authorities, uh, the the military. And they're all. A, A really good podcast that I follow is Legal Man, U.S. Law Review on Twitter. He's great. And he mentions about how, like, you know, we're conditioned by our television and our movies and anybody could say this, but, you know, he happens to mention this and the, how we're so conditioned to think that the military's the hero or the TV shows tell us that the cops are the heroes. Um, you know, the media and movies and, and television really help to lay the narrative and the foundation in terms of what really people really believe about these authority figures or these institutions. You know, you got your law and order, the, the, the judges and the courts, and, and all right, so let's take a page out of that. And now let's let's take a look at the healthcare, because this past year, healthcare workers were basically launched into the stratosphere in terms of hero status. And uh, is it really that windy outside? I, I swear, it feels like somebody's right outside my window. I, it, it's <laughs> it's, so, it's so windy. Um, so healthcare workers were thrown into the stratosphere, man. They, they now they're the heroes because we were watching movies and television. The cops are the heroes. The investigators are the heroes. Who else? Are the governments, the heroes. The militaries. Everybody's a hero. Now we got, and then we had our TV shows. Those, those TV shows that you'll you'll see over the years, like ER and oh my gosh, or uh, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, you know, it's like you you see a version of what a healthcare scenario could be. Oh, it's drama, it's excitement, it's oh, this and this and that. It's just crazy because in my personal experience, some of the evilest people (laughs) I've ever dealt with worked in the healthcare field. And again, I mean, I'm sure I would probably find way eviler people if I had joined the military and like worked in some kind of lab. I don't work in a lab. I'm sure there are plenty of evil people there and you know, there are evil people everywhere, I guess. Everywhere. But in the healthcare facilities or healthcare field, it was shocking to me. Even, even when, I, uh, when I was a teenager, I, I did rescue ambulance work and I was, I was a bit shocked as a 19-year-old volunteering for a rescue ambulance and realizing that these people aren't really here because they want to help people. They're kind of, not all of them, don't get me wrong, like, I kind of joined as a naive 19-year-old thinking that it would be a way to meet people and help people because I was very, you know, I was, was whatever, at that time. But a lot of people were in it for the politics, man. I got hated on by some, and I didn't know. I was like, why am I getting hated on by some of the females there? Bitches, because that's how bitches are. Um, I made some friends, but that, that, that was, like, my goal. I mean, I was very innocent. I just wanted to, you know... Dip my toe in the healthcare field, and that was my motivation. But there are people who were there; they were there because the prestige, the power, the ego, the politics—like they ate that shit up. Knowing people, oh, you you know, yeah, you get to know the police, you get to know these people, you get to—and it's true. Like if that's what you're into, you do get to know people. If you start volunteering for rescue ambulances, and you do get—but I realize that it's all—it's just the same. It's just politics, man. It's just fucking politics, man. Some of the the shit I saw out on the road was just like, damn, I'm afraid to call 911 now. (laughs) What if I need help? I don't know who's going to show up. Like, I don't know which kind of character with soulless character is going to show up. And it's just a crapshoot. It's Russian roulette. You might get lucky. And I've actually dealt with situations where I had to call the ambulance and I had some really terrible interactions with the EMTs. And thinking back, I'm like, yo, I should have punched that fat fuck in his face. But I didn't. I kept cool. Because at the end of the day, these are the type of people who will take advantage if you talk shit to somebody and then they take your patient or they take your ward. You don't know how they're going to treat them when you're not by their side. So that that's what goes on in facilities. You know, so, Like I said, some of the evils, evilest people i work side by side with were healthcare workers, surgeons, nurses, doctors, evil people, really. And um, where the fuck was I going with that? So again, so I'm just saying, you know how... Healthcare was is is one of those things now. Healthcare is one of those things, this untouchable, you know, par- this, this untouchable institution that has godlike status and has only been, you know, uh, how would you say presented to us in a completely, you know. Uh, I would just—we're not going to say healthcare was was a malevolent force, but I'm missing the other word, um, where you know, a beneficial, a force for good. And that's how healthcare has been presented to us. Our quote authorities over us are the ones who have all of the knowledge and all the power and all the insight to basically tell you how you live your life. And this is—I've mentioned this, and this is an ongoing theme. Everybody submits to their own God. And, and religion is another thing that's up there, another institution that's up there. And it's it's when you really put them side by side and you really compare them, and I might actually do this. You, you see how each of them has their own influence, how each of them has their own way to subdue people into compliance. Okay? The judges, the doctors, the educators, the experts, the scientists... They all know more than you do, according to what's being, you know, taught and displayed and they're heroes and can't question them. Why would you question them? They're here for your own good. So it's it's a, it's a complete fucking mindfuck. And then come back. All right, let's come back to Earth, right? Let's come back. Now, now we're here. Now we're here because these people, all you know, they have our best interests in mind. Of course they do. This Why wouldn't they? This is what we've been taught, right? That all of these entities, all of these figureheads, all of these experts and authority figures—they all collaborate together for the good of mankind. This is what people believe, and this is what they've been telling us. And here is a perfect example with this Krispy Kreme shit. <laughs> Alice just so fucking blatant lied. It's like, come on, come on, people—they don't see nothing wrong. It, it's like, what was it Krispy Kreme? Is is, is almost like, you know. That, that that strange guy in the white van who offers the little kids candy at the park. You know what I'm saying? It's just, they're just tempting people and leading them into God only knows what. Right? But well, we know what happens when people overeat. We know what happens when people eat shit like donuts every day. And, and then they're encouraging people. And I said they have to be getting funding. They have to be getting funding to be offering free coffee and donuts every Monday, and a free donut to everybody who's been vaccinated, it's like they almost want these people to eat sugar every day and maybe just accelerate the process maybe they're going to turn around and say it actually helps your immune response, I don't know I don't know <laughs> but it's all just nuts at this point so, Jordan Jordan says that he hesitated to write about the topic because, yeah it is a go- it is a cultural faux pas to hold people accountable uh, for their own health, which is complete bullshit again, but you know everybody's taught that the governing agency are their heroes. Don't, don't be responsible for yourself. Let us be responsible for you while we uh, manipulate you and torture you and, uh, you know, do things against your, your will. So CNN has a little tweet here. Krispy Kreme has come up with a way to make getting COVID-19 vextra, uh, vaccine extra sweet through the end of the year if you take your card to Krispy Kreme. Yes, we know this. All right. So that was March 29th. You can get a free glazed donut every day. Take your vaccination card to any Krispy Kreme location in the U.S. And I I mentioned this in my early Krispy Vax uh, episode. And I said the same thing as Jordan. It's like, yo, come on already, you know. We have the worst obesity problem in this country. So forget about the useless face coverings, the curfews, the economic and societal closures, and the healthy quarantines. The unreported real risks related to COVID-19 presents itself not only to obese people, but from obese people too it is a common knowledge by now at least for objective rational observers of the last year that covid-19 risk factors increase exponentially for those who happen to be in poor metabolic health and any you know the it, it, any risk factor any anything will be you know complicated with people who are in poor metabolic health a person who's in poor metabolic health their body is is already is in dysfunction they're already it's so, all you know Give him COVID-19, give him this, give him that. Yeah, it's it's just, it's room for chaos uh, to flourish. So he says, the top three comorbidities for hospitalized COVID-19 patients under 70 years old are obesity, asthma, and diabetes. And the latter two can be a result of obesity. What remains under the radar is the fact that obese Americans are also acting as drivers for the virus And there are now several studies to back this up, back up this reality. What we already knew about obesity risk factors was restated this week in the largest quantitative study to date. In Hammering Home, the Risk to Obese Populations, a comprehensive data study of almost 150,000 people that was published this week by the CDC found that a whopping 78% of Americans who were hospitalized with COVID-19, we either overweight or obese. This shouldn't come as a surprise to the readers of the dossier who know that the data shows us that metabolically healthy individuals have a risk level closer to zero. Close to zero. Aaron Ginn tweets, Yet our leadership class pushed lockdowns, which dramatically increased obesity rates. Yeah, this is your government. Your government loves you. Your government loves you, yes. Everybody who was on lockdown gained five, ten. I even gained a little bit. And I don't even fucking eat that much. I even gained weight. Everybody gained weight. And they knew because they, they they obviously they would know that people were gonna gain weight and they're well aware going months in it's really windy outside. Wow. Um a year later this is all I would hear about on the news for months about how people have gained uh wait at least in my region so again yeah that makes complete sense and it, this is just more proof positive that your government doesn't make decisions to protect the public health completely opposite um so about 78% of people who have been hospitalized needed a ventilator or died from covid have been overweight or obese on fucking real and that's a cdc study right Unreal. And now, for the underreported, unreported studies, a recent study from the U.S. National Academy of Sciences has found an incredible separation between healthy participants and obese individuals when it comes to the potential threat of spreading spreading COVID-19. The study concludes, we observed that 18% of human subjects accounted for 80% of the exhaled bioaerosol of the group reflecting a super-spreader distribution of bioaerosol, analogous to a classical 2080 super-spreader of infection distribution. At the end of the day, if a person's going to be sicker or have worse outcomes, okay, in terms of if you think in the theory of a virus, a viral load comes into play here. So these people likely had a higher viral load, a higher load of the particulates uh, or pathogenic, okay, antigen, okay, that they were actually expelling. So these these subjects, they accounted for 80% of the ex- ex- exhaled bioaerosol of the group. All because, again, they had a higher load. There's a good chance um, that is the reason why. Okay, and then this is an article. Exhaled aerosol increases with COVID-19 infection, age, and obesity. Huh. That's the headline of the study, and it's uh, from the John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Scientist, Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, it's the Chinese sister hospital. I was just talking about them earlier, uh, earlier this week. Look at that. All right. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to. He actually just has a quick screenshot. So stick with me. Let me see if I can get through this a little quicker. Uh, I don't even know how much time I've taken here. All right, I'm going to try to finish this up because this is the second half. I just checked to see how much time uh, I recorded and uh, too much, too much. I talk too much shit some, sometimes. Okay, so let's just read this study. This is the John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. This is uh, the Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts, I believe. This is the Chinese sister, sister hospital up in Massachusetts. So, of course, they would you know, want to study their little uh, bioweapon. Oh, the bioweapon likes, uh you know, certain types of uh, certain types of people. COVID-19 transmits by droplets generating generated from surfaces of airway mucus during processes of respiration within hosts infected by severe acute respiratory syndrome. Coronavirus two SARS-CoV-2 virus. We studied respiratory droplet generation and exhalation in human and non-human primates primate subjects with and without COVID-19 infection. To explore whether SARS-CoV-2 infection and other changes in physiological state translate into observable evolution of numbers and sizes of exhaled respiratory droplets in healthy and diseased subjects. In our observational cohort study of the exhaled breath particles of 194 healthy human subjects, and in our experimental infection study of 8 non-human primates infected by aerosol with SARS-CoV-2, we found that exhaled aerosol particles vary between subjects by three orders of magnitude, with exhaled respiratory droplet number increasing with degree of COVID-19 infection and elevated BMI years. Hmm. We observed that 18% of human subjects accounted for 80% of the exhaled bioaerosol of the group, reflecting reflecting a super-spreader disp- distribution of bio-aerosol analogous to a classical 2080 super-spreader of infection distribution. I'm not sure what the fuck they mean by that. Uh, let me see if I can get... These findings suggest that quantitative assessment and control of ex- exhaled aerosol may be critical to slowing. And it doesn't doesn't get much further than that because he took like a really crappy uh, screenshot and he posted it in this article here. Um, so I'm just going to finish reading what I can read. So it it, it ends this column, and I can't see the bottom of the column, but it ends where it says these findings suggest that quantitative assessment and control of exhaled aerosols. So yeah, I mean, maybe it's the heavy people, the fat people who should be wearing masks. Why the fuck should I wear a mask? I'm not fat. You know, or people who are positive, let them wear a mask, let them stay home and do whatever, you know, stay home just like you would for the flu. Why should I have to wear a mask? Here we go. So the next column, uh, column starts off by saying compositional and structural changes driven in part by biological alterations of the human condition, including something D, something aging, COVID-19 infection itself. Yeah, they, stimu- they, they simulated they evaluated the exhaled breath of 194 human subjects at two sites yeah its it's hard I can't really see uh much, so he says, in other words, twenty percent of people are response about twenty percent of people are responsible for eighty percent of the viral load. This could mean that obese people are over sixteen times more likely to spread the virus and metabolically healthy individuals. Well, it says right there. We also know that obese individuals carry a higher viral load. I just said that. I'm reading this for the first time. Additionally, the virus has a longer shedding period among these individuals because they have a higher viral load and it's going to take a longer time for them to clear it. uh, Meaning that they are contagious for a significantly longer period of time. Yeah. Um, And then he actually cites another article right below it. COVID-19 patients with obesity have higher viral load for longer. That was written by Becky McCalls in September of 2020. Another study from Israel showed that the average COVID-19 recovery time for those with a higher BMI extended an additional five to six days. Quote, we also know that obese patients have a higher viral load, end quote. I, I, I'm reading this for the first time. Commented Dr. Dror Dicker, an obesity specialist who presented his initial findings at the European and International Congress on Obesity. He explained, I wonder what this guy thinks about this whole free Krispy Kreme. Like, how come they didn't talk to this Dr. Dicker about this obesity special, specialist about the whole free Krispy Kreme, you know, uh, initial at the European and International Congress on Obesity. I, I wonder if any other country is offering fucking free donuts. Um, crazy. He explained that similar to the flu, obese COVID patients have both a higher viral load, which means more viral shedding and a longer recovery time. And again, if you've listened to my podcast from the beginning, even when this first corona shit started, I, I said, you know, people with the higher viral load are going to shed more. It's just, you know, it's just you have a more more of a load. You're going to your body's going to try to expel more of it. You're more contagious. It's just, uh, you know, it's there's a direct correlation. Um, hmm. The COVID restrictions demanded by experts, quote, end quote, like doctors Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks, along with politicians like Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, have made Americans sicker, fatter, and more vulnerable than ever. Absolutely. The obesity epidemic shows us that there is no public health solution to an individual health problem. Yep. This is perfectly written. And that there really is no such thing as a public health expert. Well, they deem themselves as experts. Again, you know, people put... The white coats on pedestals, and uh, you know, anybody who's listened to me, again, for long enough, you know exactly what I think about the white coats. I think that they're a bunch of devils. A new study from the American Psychological Association, these are the number one devils right here, showed that 42% of Americans reported a, quote, undesired weight gain since the start of the pandemic. I doubt it's only 42%. For a country that already counts almost half of of its citizens as obese, the ramifications of this is obvious. This means more super spreaders and more sickness and with and without COVID-19. This also helps to explain the dramatic separation in COVID-19 outcomes between healthier societies in Asia and obesity-stricken nations in the West. You have heard my last couple of episodes. I have said... I am John Cullen. Uh, uh, Johnny Hoover channel on YouTube really highlighted this very well. I, again, I'm not going to search the COVID world maps with this. This gentleman, he was the guy who made the map that John Hopkins University is is using to count COVID deaths and cases. And how would I have known unless I had the privilege of coming across his channel that Americans, more Americans, died than, than people in Asian countries. And what I told you guys about Tanzania, it's, it's nuts. And this is the, this is the American media. This is the mainstream media. That's not telling people this, you know, because if it comes to light that, damn, you know what, we really, it's, it's not a pandemic when you have only one or two countries affected. And the reasons why they're affected is because they're pre-existing, pre-existing medical conditions. That doesn't make this a pandemic. But they still have people here in this, this country believing that it is a pandemic because, you know, they want them to stay in fear and stay ignorant. And the minute you say, well, you know, your outcomes are worse because you're fat. I mean, who wants, you know, that means that they're responsible for their outcomes. And most people in this society do not want to be responsible. They want their noses wiped and, uh, and, and you know, their, their, their booty powdered and uh, everything tight, you know, nice, nice and tucked it It's really kind of pathetic. It really is pathetic, and again, my ability to go about my business freely, not be forced to wear a mask in a store, and you know you even have jobs that want you to fucking vaccinate. Why Because you got a bunch of people who can't close their mouths. This is just insanity to me. Absolutely insanity. Um, all right, so American Psychological Association, forty two percent undesired weight gain. And uh, you know, ultimately. The ramifications are more super spreaders, more sickness with and without COVID-19. And we, and we know this. Who, who, who were the essential businesses that got to stay open? McDonald's, fast food, then the restaurants who had the in-person dining, actual decent restaurants. So many of these places got crushed. Near me, some of them were very good at adopting, uh, you know, takeout, which is good. That became, you know, they were able to stay afloat, stay alive. But a lot of these beautiful, huge restaurants that have been around for many—I call them beautiful. I don't know. I don't say if I'm say that they're beautiful, but there are a lot of trendy restaurants in New York City that generated lots and lots of money and and employed people, and you know, people. It, it was part of the the wealth, the illusion of wealth, and um, a lot of them lost out. Burger King and McDonald's didn't lose out, but a lot of these these, you know, higher end not even higher end restaurants even like local bodegas or local pizzerias i have even had pizza shops near me that were in business for 40 years they shut down because you know everybody's working from home and and the industrial area not that many commuters no one's buying pizza in this industrial spot blah 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 and then they'll have to stay open later or or not you know not at all cuz there's nobody out there it's like a ghost town so um again this is uh i don't know it's see the government knows enough of this they know enough of this, but yet those corporations got to stay open. Those corporations got the free pass, even though that they contribute to the obesity epidemic, even though that they contribute to poorer outcomes. So none of this has to do with public health at all. It's all about public, public image, public manipula- manipulation, cronyism, you name it. It's all criminal going on right in front of our faces. Um, so, yeah, so there's this explains the dramatic separation in COVID-19 outcomes between healthier societies in Asia and obesity-stricken nations in the West and that's 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 the bottom line. People people need to start looking in the mirrors, all right? That I, I I hate to hear shit. This is this is the reason why I get so fucking pissed when I hear about people talking about, "Oh, well nobody should have the right to refuse a vaccine." Get the fuck out of here. You know, and especially if these, you know, nobody should have a right to refuse a vaccine. I got to take a fucking experimental shot. Because, you know, fat people don't have the immunity to fight it. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. Settle down here. Settle fucking down here. You know, I don't have a right to tell anybody to shut their mouth, close your mouth, fucking wire it shut and stop eating. You don't have a right to tell me that I got to fucking raise my sleeve. Nobody has a right. I don't have a right to tell you what to to feed yourself. I mean, I I can make a suggestion. but I have no right to force you. Right? Uh, employers discriminate against people because they're obese i mean legally they're not supposed to right uh are employers allowed to discriminate against you for your age or your sex or your transgender or that legally they're not supposed to but yet they're going to discriminate me against me because i choose not to partake in a, a, a medical treatment it's not even fda approved hello i don't understand there's no there's no i don't see how this is even unfolding without any kind of legal challenge and, uh, it's just, it's just getting uglier and uglier and uglier that nobody's challenging this. But you know what? <sighs> I think enough people hopefully will wake up. To be clear, the fact that obese people act as super spreaders for viruses does not present some kind of authoritarian mandate to discriminate against people with higher BMIs. Not at all. Um, then you know, I even see shit about like, oh cats can be reservoirs. Yeah, cats, dogs, animals. Look, the president of Tanzania, goats were positive for coronavirus. Uh, are we going to do what they did in China? Our, uh, you know, our masters, right? Is that, you know, go go killing the dogs and cats, the domestic animals? Is that what it's going to come to here? And the the kind of savage mindset of people who are even suggesting this shit online, like, really? I would love to have a quiet moment alone with you. Truly, I would. Um, All right, so none of this gives, you know, an authoritating, authoritarian mandate. Uh, you know, it doesn't get, none of this, you know, that we're revealing right now that we're, we're we're discussing, I'm discussing with you, right? And the author says that, you know, it doesn't give anybody a right to discriminate people with higher BMIs. No, of course not. Um, it does, however, show that the nation's public health experts, quote unquote, have not only failed to educate the public on real risk factors, then they never fucking will, but continue to advocate for punitive policies that end up making all of us more susceptible to disease and Jordan, the reason why they do that, my friend Jordan, is because our health is not their priority, my friend. Our health is not their priority. It's not about making, uh, inc- increasing our outcomes. It's about pushing an agenda. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. That's basically it. All right, so sorry for this message being so long. I just wanted to read this. Um, and uh, yeah, just do a shout out and hopefully everybody's doing okay. Uh, it's the end of the first quarter. Like I said, I've been trying to record things and, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's been what it's been. So tomorrow's April 1st and, uh, hopefully, hopefully everybody's doing good. It's a, it's a cold, breezy spring day here in the Northeast. And, uh, hopefully, uh, again, you know, we just gotta sit tight and see what the next couple of months, uh, will, will bring for us.